Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of New Normal Podcast. If this is your first time here, thank you. My name is Andrew Mayer, and the podcast is all about innovation and innovating in these digital times. Daniel Ord, its founder and director of OmniTouch International, has spent 30 years in the customer experience arena. Gee whiz. Daniel is first and foremost a teacher, a true teacher at universities and colleges, as well as teaching his clients the foundations of building a successful customer-focused business. He's taken his business 100% online. What a surprise, which was a big learning curve for him and his team. But will he go back? Hmm, you're gonna have to listen in. A couple of updates real quick. Gotta say this first episode of the bike, the pod bike um, this season, we had a couple last year. This is the first time this year we finally got out to go interview someone here, and I must apologize for some of the sound quality. I've got new ideas, new materials that all need to cook in a little bit, so be kind in the comments. Still, the interview is really interesting. There's also a video to the pod bike experience. It's not a video of the interview, but the journey to the interview. As I always say, it's all about the journey. The link to my YouTube channel is in the description of the podcast, and it will be uploaded soon. And as it seems to be all about podcasting this time, I'm documenting my entire podcast process that I'm putting onto my blog on my website. Again, link in the description. This will be a multi-part blog post going on how I find my guests all the way through to how I publicize and market my podcast. There's a lot to this. And even I was surprised to see all the steps that were involved. This is certainly a work in progress. And this episode here, this one here, saw me using new materials, software and others, which made it challenging. But in the end, successful in getting the podcast out. Again, thank you for your patience. But enough about me. Let's get to the interview with Daniel Ord, founder and director of OmniTouch International. You've got 20,000 followers on LinkedIn, 100 recommendations. And most of those recommendations are just glowing. Uh, what is your secret, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your secret? Um, are you paying these people? <laughs> and, and what tips do you have for others for, for getting people, um, I don't know, you get people excited is what the reactions I see, reactions to your posts, the reactions that at least the public stuff I see. Um, maybe you've got a following, which is just incredible. Well, so first off, I'm going to say I'm really grateful for that, and I don't take any of it for granted. The second thing I'm going to say is I've never liked the word secret, and I'm going to tell you why, and, and it's nothing about your question. I once did a presentation in the U.S. saying the secrets of service in Asia versus the West. Mm. We had done this whole mystery shopper, and we literally did some comparisons in the service delivery. And one of the feedbacks from that session, and this is somewhere in Phoenix in 2008, so I'm talking a long time ago, but the person put in their comments, where were the secrets? And I, that, I, I never forgot that. So I avoid using that word now. So the point is, we all know there aren't many secrets out there. It's just a matter of coming to terms with things. I think the first thing I'll say is when you do what I do, and I see myself as a teacher first, I'm a teacher first. I, that's my character and my personality. I happen to teach CX and contact center and customer service, but I'm a teacher first. And I think the teachers that I've always responded to treated me like an adult. 
I think sometimes we don't really feel that our voices are heard in a workshop session, mm -hmm. we're respected in a workshop session. So I think so much of it isn't what you are saying one way, it's what you're getting back from other people. And related to that, some people say, Dan, isn't that the 200th time you run that course? I say, I know, isn't that amazing? I learned something new. Time 198, someone asked me something I had never thought of before and it just crystallizes more. But I, I don't know if it's a secret so much as treat people like adults, be willing to hear what they have to say, know this thing is gonna go off script. If you're married to your PowerPoint slides, it's probably not the right industry for you. If you're ready to turn the projector off and say, okay, we gotta get to the nut of this thing. Let, what have you done? How can we get there? Then I think you're gonna have more success. It's interesting you didn't mention the, the quality of your content. <laughs> because I'm sure you've been doing this for, for 30 years, right? You've been in this industry a long time. Uh, you, you worked in the industry, right? In context, and you built centers there, you managed them, then you, you started your own company, I believe 20 years ago now. That's right. Um, and uh, so OmniTouch International, links in the, in the description of the podcast here. Um, and you've, you've probably got such a repertoire and of course experiences. And I, I know from my experiences as a consultant, the more people you meet, and if you honestly listen to them, this is one of the problems consultants and others have is not listening to the customer. You're, you're just learning all the time. So I, so I assume you've got, you've got a wealth of experience uh, which, which you've fine-tuned and you adjust probably regularly based on all your experiences there. And that's what the people first are coming for, but uh, I was so excited to, to get the chance to meet you here at this palace, uh, which <laughs> podcast listeners won't get to see, but there is a video if you look, look, follow the links in the description. There's a video and shows this wonderful palace in, in the wine region of Germany where you moved uh, a year and a half ago here, basically in my backyard. You might say I live in your backyard um, because I wanted to meet you and see why all this excitement and the positivity. <laughs> and we've had a bit of a chat before recording here. And, and you talked about how um, you just don't have time to be to want to be grumpy or around grumps, right? It's it, there's, that's just not a place you want to be uh, regularly in your life there. And you you are just um, you're you're just glowing with excitement about the subject around CX and customer experience management. Um, your business was basic, as far as I know, previously before you moved back to Germany, or even when you moved back to Germany, was all you know, touchy-feely workshops, people around, around your, your, your meeting table, as you, you told me there, or going to companies wherever they were in the world and holding these, these sessions there. Uh, pandemic came, of course, we're still living through the, uh, the effects of that there. Your business went from, let's say, mostly 100% uh, analog to 100% digital. How was that? That is a really good question, and, and, and I have to share the story warts and all. So the pandemic's coming. The last thing we did face-to-face -face was attend the big call center show in Berlin, actually, in, in March of, what year was that now? I've lost track, 2019. And then we, we come back from Berlin, and, and the show was very sparsely attended. I think we were actually going to meet at that we show. We were going to meet. I pulled That's out right. three days before. No worries, and I understood. Um, we had a client that had booked us for training. The training was going to be held in Paris in May of the same year. And uh, I'll name the client because I think it's relevant, is Ring Central. And this gentleman from Ring Central, who was now one of my best friends, he just called me up and said, Dan, you're doing the training. I don't care. You can't come to Paris, obviously. We're not going to have a chance to do it all here. But you will make this happen. <laughs> it was really like... And he says, now not to worry, there is a Ring Central of, of an online platform, you know, and we, we will use the Ring Central platform. And the point being is that 
I have to say the very first morning, we did it kind of traditionally with them the first go. We literally sat at a, uh, at a table from nine till five, three days in a row, which now we don't have to do, but we did. At 8.55, I, I don't really sweat. I'm not a sweater, but I think I was mentally sweating going, am I ready for this? Am I ready for this? By the end of the first day, it had gone so well mm. that, that we almost couldn't believe it. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't learn things as we went. And the audience actually knew that this was an unusual thing to do it this way. But by the second day, they had made suggestions. Why don't we do it this way? Why don't we add this? By the third day, they said, I, we can't believe it's the first time we've ever been through an online training. And the reviews were as good as anything we would have expected face-to-face. -face. Wow. That gave us the confidence. We didn't have all the learnings yet, but what we needed, honestly, was the confidence that we can really do this. And, and one secret I am going to say is we run it with two people. So it's always myself and Marcus. Mm -hmm. Every online session we've done since the beginning, there have been two of us, because what I find is I do not monitor the chat room. Mm. Monitoring the chat room is an important part of an online session. That's A right. lot is happening in there. So Marcus takes care of doing that. He chats with the participants. He sends them into their groups. He visits their groups. I get to focus on the content mm. and what I hear them say. And that has really worked. Now, going back to face-to-face, -to -face, do I need a, a sidekick or a co-pilot? No, no, probably not. But for online, I would definitely recommend that you have someone really, really competent and good and, and, and who knows all this stuff. And that has been <laughs> part of the quote-unquote secret, was having the two people run every session that we do. Are you looking forward to going back to visit people? <laughs> I'm going to say what I probably wrote about quite recently is for very exceptional circumstances, possibly, for example, an awards event. I get to MC awards events. I can't wait to MC this awards event coming up in Germany this year. I think to do a conference event where I'm on a stage because I tend to have, use a bit of physical humor. So I think getting a chance to be my loud and crazy, I admire Steve Martin, so maybe my dream was to be Steve Martin one day <laughs> of the CX set. That would work for me. But in all honesty, no. I love having jet lag on the couch. That's what we call it. Jet lag on the couch. I get to brush my teeth, put on my clothes, go to my office, talk to really fabulous people all over the world, and then go sleep on the couch until <laughs> the jet lag passes. So. Yeah, you are... Um uh, I, I call you a time shifter because I see your posts where, where you're, you're holding a session pre-dawn in Malaysia. Maybe in the summertime it is almost dawn in Germany, but in other times of the year it's going to be dark outside. And then I, and you'll write in the afternoon you're doing something for Hungary or Florida. Um, and knowing that there's, I don't know, 16 time zones between the two of those uh, there, that you're up early. You, you've told me you sometimes take a rest during the middle of the day so that you have enough energy to go to late in the evening for that there. Um, how can you keep that up? Is that, is that a rhythm that's becoming sort of regular for you? It's a good question, I think. It's just a matter of scheduling well. I know my limitations well, and I never want to compromise on the quality. So if, if we know there's a time slot that we need a day off to kind of catch up, we take that day off. It's only now and then someone will say, Dan, you absolutely have to do this. For example, Singapore, we might start at 1 in the morning and finish at 9 in the morning. I won't take anything in the daytime for that because... I can barely cook an egg after that. And, and you want to save your energy. Um, the good news for us is we've always been international. Since our first year, we were already working in multiple countries. But this traveling, I think, is equally exhausting. I mean, 
I hate standing in immigration queues. I hate going to visa offices. I mean, that's all exhausting stuff, and I don't think we realized how much burden there was in all that stuff. Now if you're telling me, ah, oh, just set your alarm for 11 p.m., be up at 1, put on a shirt, brush your teeth, okay, I can do that, mm. as long as I don't have to go to the visa office and, and take a two-hour taxi ride to a hotel somewhere, you know, so I'm, I'm, I quite like it. I think it's quite cool. Well, you've settled now. I mean, Singapore, I've never was in Singapore, but I was in Kuala Lumpur many, mm. many months. Um, which was just a hop skip from Singapore for whatever reason I didn't bother getting down there is is for me in my mind It's like the New York City, right? It's just bustling. It's busy and it's loud We're recording this outside today in a vineyard <laughs> next to a palace. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> podcast listeners that uh, You're not getting the riches of that here in a beautiful part of the country, which I'll say because I've lived here 30 years now um, uh, It's a nice place to do online trainings and workshops I, I think living in Singapore and doing this online probably wouldn't have the same effect, would it? The, well, I have to give Singapore obviously a tremendous amount of credit because it's what you, it's an extremely international city. Because it's so small, you end up meeting a lot of global and regional people there. So it's right. pretty rare to only have Singapore. Someone comes to you and says, I am the regional director, I handle 17 countries. So if we're happy with what you've done for us in Singapore, boom, next thing you know, you're in Vietnam, Thailand. Okay. Germany yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. So we were always international. So meeting different people, getting used to different cultures and approaches was always part of our repertoire. So I think that probably made switching to the online world uh, more easy or, or easier. I will say one thing. I have found clients are much more receptive to, to this than I think they would have been in the past. Yeah. I mean, when you saw me say, oh, today we're in Florida, Hungary, and Estonia, that's because the client said, we have no issues putting all our people together online in multiple countries together. We're just concentrating the sessions instead of being eight hours. The normal block for us now is four hours, and I kind of love it. So four times four-hour sessions, sometimes spread over the course of a month. So people can go back, they can digest, they can do work groups. When they come back for, let's say, part two, they'll say, you know, Dan, we really worked a lot on part one. You don't get to do that in a hotel conference room. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets to work on a part one in a hotel conference room. So I don't think this is going to go away, and I'm going to ride this horse and enjoy it and then save the face-to-face -face stuff for the Steve Martin moments, for lack of a better word. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah. It's 2021. Um, you've been in the business for 30 years. I'm not going to ask you uh, for a 30-year review, but compared 10 years ago to today, the state of customer experience. Uh -huh. um, how much, how much have we made in advancements and improvements? Or what, what do you think has become better, more understood? And where are some points that are still lacking? Gosh, that is the I know that's probably a whole course you give. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not paying for this course here, but uh, you know, it's, a, it's a freebie for my listeners. No, no. I mean, the first thing I'm going to say is my perspective or opinions on this, because now you're asking for my opinion, mm -hmm. which is a different thing than a training program, is going to be fully based on the clients that we work with. I, it's very hard for me to comment about the industry at large because unlike, let's say, a Gartner or a Forrester, we're not surveying the entire industry. I will say this over the 10 years, the gap between the folks that are really leading the charge and the laggards, it just keeps getting wider and wider okay. and wider. Um, the way I, I express this sometimes, I'll go back to the contact center industry, is the way to run a proper contact center has been well understood since the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and, and I call it a well of knowledge. 
Some people chose to drink from that well early on. We had clients in 2003 that set their contact center journeys well. I'm not gonna name them, but there would be one in Malaysia, mm -hmm. one in this place, one in Sri Lanka, actually, interestingly enough, a, a leader in the world as far as I'm concerned. Other people don't drink from the well. The well is there, but they choose not to drink from it. And I'm gonna say something that probably is a little bit controversial, but hey, I, have, I think I have the right at this point. We're an industry of amateurs. People don't go to school for this stuff. So what happens is, and I'm gonna speak from my own story, yeah, 30 years, 10 years, I was a big VP in the US of a big contact center with a company car and a very high salary. I didn't know 2% of what I teach today. I was an amateur. So when I decided to open my company, we opened with two training courses and our mystery shopper product. The two training courses were service skills for the phone and dealing with difficult customers, both frontline courses. Those went really well. We were super successful really fast. And then the clients would come and say, Dan, we love these courses you have for the frontliners. Do you have anything for agent? I mean, for the management team? I didn't. Hmm. And I didn't even feel competent. So in a very quick second, let me tell you a story I almost tell nobody. So here we go. Okay. I took 60 or 70% of the profit from year one of running our business, from running all these frontline courses. I went to the US. I found the best providers of contact center material. I spent about $50,000 of our profit to, first off, we lived in a professor's house for a month where we had private lessons and people management, at CRM in those days, leadership. Then we connected with ICMI in the US. We became a global partner. We started representing their products. We connected to a certification standard in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And frankly, that's what we did. I plowed that money back into, I'm gonna say myself, but myself being the company because there's no way you can go up in a group of people and say, here's how you run a contact center and not know what you're talking about. And that's my worry is the difference between having structured, solid, content that's real and that works and that's grounded in real world versus my opinion is I don't like NPS. <laughs> my opinion yeah. is I, you know, and it is, I think sometimes out in the world, clients have a hard time parsing out between where's the real content and where am I just getting someone that's gonna express to me their opinion. And that's a pattern we stuck with. In our first 10 years, I attribute our growth in the first 10 years to, we kept taking the profit and reinvesting it and clients pushed us because they'll say, okay, we love you have this operations class now. Could you please come up with a culture class? We'll even pay for it. So then we go and write. So I think this is something else for people in the teaching business. If you really want to be in the teaching or training business, you must be able to write. You can't just parrot someone else's stuff. You have to be able to write your own story, your own narrative. I always think of a training course a bit like an opera. I'm an opera fan. Uh, I love the drama. So there you go, Steve Martin and opera in the same conversation. <laughs> but I want people by the end of act one, when the curtain goes down, to have tears coming down. And then when act two comes up and, and the bad guy's gone, I want them to dance around the village. And I mean, I want to create this feeling of emotion. And I think that comes through a bit of this kind of storytelling and connecting the dots. Because let's be honest, if you're gonna start talking about NPS and occupancy rates and abandonment rates, everyone's gonna to go to sleep. You gotta put it together in kind of an interesting and compelling way. But the, but the quick story as to how I think we've done so well has a lot to do with we invested in ourselves. And I'm gonna say this to the listeners, it's not easy to do. I have to admit it wasn't easy for me either, but you have to look in a mirror and say, am I an amateur at what I do? 
because you can't say five years of experience is the same as knowing it. Experience is only part of right. the equation. You still have to have the, I don't know how you feel about that, Andrew, but that's my really common belief. That it's interesting you talk about we're, we're a profession of amateurs mm. because I, I worked for a technology supplier in the customer experience world for, for 25 years. And, and I would be working with the leaders of their contact center businesses. Um, uh, and sometimes late in the, my career, they were the beginnings of the customer experience C, CCOs or whatever they, you know, chief customer officers or whatever their titles might have been. There were few of those uh, were, were coming onto the field there. And I hadn't really thought about them being amateurs. They had the titles, like you said, you were big VP of, of a contact center. Um, but, and, and I always, I, I like researching people. I know a lot of my colleagues thought I was a little weird always looking at people and finding out that they're coach of the junior soccer club. Uh, and why is that relevant to go to a meeting? And I'm like, it's really relevant because maybe I find a way to build in, and you've already mentioned the word I love is the storytelling aspect of it. Um, and I would look up some of these VPs and others that we'd be meeting with and they would have almost zero experience in any kind of customer experience solutions or, or at least they weren't publishing anything about it there. That's an interesting, an interesting view of it there. And I think, I know what one of the things you offer is you're offering that experience. You teach a lot, right? You, you have the, the OmniTouch International is your business, but I know you're, you're a lecturer at different universities and, and uh, education facilities out there. And I think that's, um, that needs to become the norm. And I think that's the, the answer to the question, what's, what's not changed in 10 years? There's not enough professionals in the customer experience world. The wells are there. It's the choice to go drink from those wells. Yeah. Honestly, that's what it is because it's so easy to sit in your office in your comfy office chair and have many employees and say, of course I know what I'm doing. Otherwise I wouldn't have this job. But I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors if that's the mentality that we're taking. In all honesty, that's one of the reasons why I'm a fan of excellent certifications, not all. But we had a contact center certification we did with ICMI the first 10 years of our history that literally took us all over the world. And people really were like, wow. And now there is a, you know, there are various CX certifications. I don't think we need to go into naming them and so forth. But we, I tested one. I loved it. Marcus went through it as well. And we decided to become part of that because it also fills that gap for me. Um, Having a rigorous set of knowledge, I think you said structure, a basis to make decisions on. You can apply your opinion to that, but if you're only speaking your opinion, I don't think you're helping anyone. Can I give you a joke? I thought I'd, I'd write about this on LinkedIn one day, but I'm worried about blowback a little bit, which is um, nobody ever in the 20 years I've been teaching said, Dan, we would love to hire you and put you in front of our people and for two days just share your opinion with them. Not one person ever. That's that's not what they hire you for. They don't say, come and tell us people's opinion. No, they'll say, we have an objective to equip our people with customer experience know-how. We want our people to be able to handle live chats better. We want our people to be able to run a better contact center. Can you help us with that in two days? Yes, we can. But never, there's no one's gonna come to you and say, we can't wait to hear your opinion for the next 16 hours. So I'm not quite sure where this, everyone falling in love with all over the sound of our own voice comes from sometimes. I think a lot of people fall in love with their own voice. Uh, and again, I have to be careful here. It's just, I think that's where a lot of this confusion is. I think the original question, which I know I lost the thread there a little bit was, why hasn't the industry, or where has the industry gone in, in 10 years, or how has it improved in the last 10 years? I think more and more companies are starting to drink from the well and trying to apply 
what they learn. Now the application part's intense. Mm -hmm. So even if you go through a great operations course or CX course, it's still going to take you another year or two to bring those learnings to life and do the culture change. But again, I think these people, and we get to work with so many of them. That's the cool part is we see it because we tend to be chosen by those kinds of companies. To be perfectly honest, we're not chosen by the ones that don't want to drink from the well. It's kind of a self-selecting process, you know? They, True. They end True. Up, we end up getting picked by the best, so we sometimes see the best happening. And I had someone say to me, someone really hired you to do 60 culture classes? I didn't even know such deals existed. I say, yeah, they exist. These companies are looking for someone that can help them do that. They're out there, so but they exist. They're like, really? We didn't know companies. Like the deal we just did in Malaysia where we talked to 3,000 people over the course of a week all online. They did 3,000 people? I said, yeah. They thought it was that important? Yeah, they did. They just wanted to find the right partner who could help them achieve their objectives. So these places are out there. And sometimes they don't beat their breast and and brag and say how great they are. They're just so busy doing the work. They're not the ones you're reading about in LinkedIn, to be honest. They're out there just doing I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I, I feel, I'm happy to have heard that. Right? I'm, I'm happy that you've shared that, that there are companies really investing um, in, in, in training as one, but also in their employees. Because I know you're not, it's not only customer experience, it's also the employee experience or the users or management. I mean, preparing the whole, the, 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 the whole ship has to work, right? It's not just the captain, and it's not just the, the first lieutenant that has to be knowledgeable of it. You have to have the whole, the, whole, the whole staff has to be, at least most of the staff needs to be in line with it and understand it there for this to be successful. And I'm happy that you've shared that because we see a lot of bad experiences. We experience them ourselves. Uh, it's, 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 it's nice, you say you work with, with the chosen, the ones that have chosen to go to the well, uh, so you have a bit of a maybe a slanted view, I do, right? Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Um, but then you go out to the shops, right? and you go online and, and call a company and and get dropped three times while waiting or transferred. All the you go through these experiences as anyone else would in the world. Um, and that must frustrate you. I don't. I won't say it frustrates me. It disappoints me. Um, I I think. And again, I have to be a little bit careful here. But I have found the service in Germany. Once you get away from this beautiful village we're in and you're dealing with these wineries and so forth, that's a different ballgame. But call a contact center here. I mean, the experience is your job is to read the fine print. You should be reading the fine print. No, you don't, we don't refund. Are you la They almost laugh at you, you know? And one of them said, if your phone isn't working, it's got to be your phone. I mean, it, it, it's the opposite of helping reduce effort. It's just dump more effort. So, again, I haven't done any scientific mystery shopper yet, although it's a... I'm thinking about doing mm. some kind of study. We've done this in other countries, by okay. the way, where we pick the top 10 banks, the top 10 telecoms. So we've done X number of mystery shoppers, and we've actually published that stuff. Now, some people hate oh, it. Some I can't people wait love it. I can't wait for you to do that. Can I actually tell you the thing we're going to start with? Sure. Did you reply to my email? Mm. I find this the the there's you can send an email here and then I really don't know what dimension it ends up in. Maybe one of the tech vendors can help me know which dimension it ends up in because certainly it never involves a response. So, you know, I know you're big on digital channels and so forth. It's like you can call it digital, you can call it not digital, but if you're not even going to reply, then what's the point? We can call it anything we want. So. I have my last question, which I ask all my guests. Oh. Um, what does innovation mean to you? 
I think there, for me, there are two parts to innovation. One is the improvement part. Improvement is when someone says to you, Dan, I wish you could do this. Can you do that? And we do that. That's improvement. And then there's the part where they didn't even know that that's what they wanted. I think that's the cool part. They didn't even know. For example, when we all went into this online world, we didn't even know that that morning I was on the first online class sweating bullets that, hey, this is the future. We didn't even know we wanted it, and now we're embracing it. So I think it's addressing the spoken needs, if that's one way to put it, as well as always thinking about the unspoken needs. Like for us, it has to be, you know, we, we can't just be running the same courses we did necessarily in 2002 and 2003. We have to be constantly thinking about where's the industry going, what are going to people, or what do people want to learn next? So that's my simple answer. Spoken mm -hmm. needs and unspoken needs. And both matter. Both matter. It's not one over the other. So, Well, thank you for your time here. We have a beautiful sunny day. It's, <laughs> it's the end of July, um, or almost the end of the July, sitting in a vineyard near the palace of uh, Johannesburg uh, in Rheingau, Germany. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you taking a bit of time out of your day and uh, oh, meeting me here. Oh, it's been lovely, and Andrew, and I'm sure we'll have a chance to catch up again, either personally or back on a recording one day soon. Or in Berlin at a call center world somewhere in the there future, if, if that becomes a thing again, or, or maybe online. Thank you for your time. Thank you.